Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy, if we could. And where we start today, as is often the case, I do not believe will be where we finish. You know, I like cake. Anybody like cake? Some of you are going, what in the world are you talking about? I said, this, I like cake. Carrot cake. I like more than, I like carrot cake. You know, I know that it takes an oven to make a cake, but I know the oven didn't make the cake. Does that make sense? And I know it takes a pan, usually, some type, to make a cake. But the pan didn't make the cake. Yeah. If I want to know how the cake was made, I got to go all the way back to the beginning. Not just, I'm not careful. I try to glorify the pan or glorify the oven. I thank God for the pan and the oven. Sometimes what happens if we're not careful is we can take things from the Word of God and we see the end result. And we just go, well, that, and we don't go back and dig in the Word and see where it started. And get, I think we're going to go to Deuteronomy. I, I'll give you an example. There's a thing that's been stirring in my heart. In the book of Ephesians, you don't need to go there, because if you go there, we'll spend too much time, and I don't think we're supposed to. If you go to the book of Ephesians, a very familiar passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, I believe, we see in verses like 4 or 5 all the way down through 8, Paul makes a bold declaration in Ephesians. Anybody ever read the book of Ephesians? Parts of, yeah, it's a great book. I love it. I've been stuck in it for a few months, as most of you know. Paul makes a statement that's off-quoted, and rightfully so. I love it when people are quoting the Word of God, don't you? He makes a statement. He says, for by grace are you saved. Anybody ever heard that? Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Do you believe that? Amen. I do too. And I think that's like verse 5 or something like that. And then in verse 8, he, he says it again. He says, for by grace are you saved through what? Faith. It is what? It's the gift of God. By grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God. And then the next verse, I think verse 8 says, not of works, right, lest any man should boast. You ever heard that before? Okay, good, good. I'm not, you're with me then. Okay. So that's, well, that's a beautiful thing, but that's the, by great, well, so you got to go back and look. It's interesting to me. If you read Acts chapter 15. Anybody ever read the book of Acts? If you read Acts 15, you know what? we got to go here. I, we're not going to get to Deuteronomy today, I can tell. Part of me really wants to go to Deuteronomy because how the Lord's been dealing with me, and I, the Holy Ghost will just. So we better go to Ephesians chapter 2. Would you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, we worship you and we trust in you. You are holy. You are sovereign. You are God. Beside you, there is none else. 
You are the first, you are the last, the beginning, the ending. He which was and is and is to come. You are the almighty. I pray the liberty of the Holy Ghost, the witness of your word and spirit as you intend. Let your word not be tainted by my humanity, but I pray a clear sound in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Watch this. If, I feel like Ephesians 2 is sort of like the cake. If you're going like, what is he talking about? The cake and the pan and the oven. And this is how I feel like. I feel like sometimes people jump to Ephesians chapter 2 and they're celebrating the cake. Stay with me. I'll try to make sense of all this. Um, so Ephesians chapter 2, um, verse, let's just start at verse 4. Or 3. Let's go verse 3. Probably should have read the whole thing, but we'll just start at verse 3. Who's Paul writing to? Ephesians, yes, he's writing to. Uh, right, context matters, doesn't it? Does context matter in the scripture? Okay, good, we're on the same page. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the church at Ephesus, yes? This is this a true statement? Okay, so is Paul writing to people that aren't saved? No. That's important context. He's writing to people that are already saved, so he's helping them to understand something about their salvation. He's not trying to tell them how to become be saved. Does that make sense? He's revealing something to them about it, giving them, okay, so, so let's watch. See, because sometimes what happens if we're not careful, people will take the Word of God and forget who it was written to and try to apply it to someone else. That doesn't work. I mean, the Word of God always works. You understand what I mean, though? But, like, you don't get to read my mail. You don't go into my email box and say, hey, well, you know what? I didn't. No, no, no. Paul was writing to the church. Okay? So watch what he says, verse 3. He's talking about him and the church at Ephesus, among whom also we all had our conversation. That word conversation, many of you know, is lifestyle. We all had our lifestyle in times past. So he's pointing back before they were saved. In times past, it was in the lusts or the desires of our flesh. We fulfilled the desires of the flesh. Not only did we fulfill the desires of our flesh, Paul says we fulfilled the desires of our mind. That's, sometimes that's even, that goes deeper and worse than the desires of our flesh. We fulfilled, but again, he's talking about the times past. He's talking to a church about times past. We fulfilled the desires of the mind, and we were by our nature, human nature, we were the children of wrath, even as others. He wasn't making themselves better than he was saying, hey, we were just like everybody else. Amen? Now watch verse 4. But God, aren't you thankful for those two words right there? But God, who is rich in mercy. I'm so glad he's not poor in mercy. He is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. You understand, he loved us in the condition we were in in verse 3. His great mercy loved us in the condition we were in in verse 3. Verse 2, if we'd have read that too, but we didn't. But watch. Verse 5 describes how we were. Even we were dead in our sins. What has he done? 
he hath quickened us or made us alive. That's what that word quickened means, to be made alive. He has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. That's the first time he makes that statement there to the church at Ephesus. Verse 6, and not only has he quickened us or made us alive with Christ, he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Now, is this, this is written in the past tense, isn't it? So he's not talking about something that's going to happen to the church. He's talking about something that's already happened to the church. When he quickened us and made us alive, when he filled us with his spirit and made us alive, he raised us up together with him and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Reading on. Why? Verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show, or in time to come, he did this so that in time to come, he can show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I don't believe that's talking about heaven. That's talking about the time after he raised us up, ages to come. Make sense? Okay, I know we're going a little slow, but hang on. We're going to shift gears in a second, I think. Verse 8. Here he says again. So we, we needed context. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. He's, now, he's telling them. He's trying to help, help them understand the power of their salvation. And then he helps them understand. You didn't save yourself. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse number 9. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Now, he just said we were saved by grace through faith, not of works. Yes? But now watch verse 10. For we are his workmanship. That means we didn't do the work. He did the work. Yes? We're his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus unto what? Whoa, hold on a minute. He just said we weren't saved by works. But now he says he's calling us to works. Yes? Works matter once we're saved. Don't make a disconnect. Works matter once you're saved. And that's what Paul was saying. You didn't save yourself. The work of Christ is what saved you. But then once he saved you, he created you in him. Remember he said earlier, raised you up to sit together with him in heavenly places. He did this, why? To show his grace in time to come. And how's he going to do it? He created you in Christ to good works, which God ordained that we should walk in them. What's them? Good works. It's exactly what Jesus was saying when he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works. And do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. So our life begins to shine forth the works of him who has quickened us, the one who made us alive. Our life begins to manifest him. And people don't glorify us. That's not the goal. God forbid. We want to be with the Apostle Paul. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live by the power of the Son of God who gave himself for me. I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. Amen? So I'm not living by my own power. I'm living by his. So, so we see these verses in Ephesians. It says we are saved by grace through faith. And if we're not careful, we take those words, and that's the cake. 
you're going to get this in a minute. Don't worry. Don't get too hung up on the cake. This is just how my head thinks. And so this is how I got there. So, so you got this, this end product is saved people at the church of Ephesus. They were saved by grace. But what does that look like? Well, let's go back to the book of Acts. Can we do that? Acts chapter 50. I know you know this stuff. I think you do. Many of you. But the word of God is so rich. The word of God is so clear. The word of God always supports itself. Aren't you thankful for that? And so, so we're saved by grace through faith. Now, you don't have to turn there because you already got your hand in Acts chapter 15. So just hold on to that right there. But the guys on the screen maybe can work with us a little bit. Maybe you can quote it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Paul begins to talk to us. They're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. I'll let him put it on the screen so that you can see it. And he makes this statement. Now, in 1 Corinthians, who's Paul writing to? Corinth, yeah. The church at Corinth, right? So these are already the church. This is important to remember when we're reading these letters. Hold on. He's writing to the church already. These people already know some stuff. This is important. Okay, watch. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you, what is he declaring? The gospel. Aren't you thankful for the gospel? He said, I'm declaring the gospel that I preach to you, which you have received. So something happened. They received the gospel, and now they stand in the gospel. So what he said, verse number two, by which, these are important words, by which also you are what? So we're saved by the gospel. Amen? We're saved by the gospel. If, I love how people want to eliminate the word if. Apparently being saved by the gospel comes with an if. Now not works because the word's not going to contradict itself. Paul told the church at Ephesus, you're saved by grace through faith. But Paul also told the church at Corinth, you're saved by the gospel if. If what? If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. It is possible, based on the word of God, it is possible to believe, yes, and not be saved. I know that's shaking up some theology, maybe. You can believe in vain. That's what the word says. Okay, watch verse 3. I delivered, now he declares the gospel to them. This is the gospel that saves. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Right? That's verse 4. He was buried, he rose again the third day according to scripture. So now we know the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And I know many of you are sitting here going, he's telling us what we already know. But I, I want you, okay, so we're saved by the gospel. Paul told the church at Corinth, we believe that. He told the church at Ephesus, which they believe the gospel, he told them, you're saved by grace through faith, not of works. We good? Okay, now you're holding your hand in Acts 15, so flip over there. Please. We're told by Scripture that we should be able to give an answer of the hope that lies within us. And if I talk to a soul that's hungry and searching... And I just tell them, 
hey, by grace are you saved through faith. They're going to be like, what? Explain it. Hold on a minute. No, yeah, you're saved by the gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what saves you. Okay, what? So we got, let's go back and look. So Acts chapter 15, watch this. See if you notice something in here. Now, actually, we're not going to read the whole chapter. Everybody said amen, because it's 41 verses. You can read it this afternoon. <laughs> okay, but context, right? Context matters. So let's talk context super quick. In Acts chapter 15, what has happened is Paul and Barnabas, they have seen Gentiles be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. They see these things happening to Gentiles, and there's this sect of the Jews that are having issue with it. Because they're like, hold on, we thought this was just for us. And so what they start doing is the Jews start pointing to works of the flesh and arguing about the salvation of the Gentiles over the fact that the Gentiles haven't done the works that the Jews have done. Again, you can read the chapter and the chapter that comes before, and you'll get But we, we just don't have time. So. so they're arguing over the works. Yes? Watch. We'll, we'll read some of it so you understand. Um, or so you see it here. Verse 4. Acts 15 and 4. And when they were come to Jerusalem, this is Paul and Barnabas, when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and of the elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. So Paul and Barnabas have come back from a missionary journey, and they're telling the church, they're telling the apostles, they're telling the elders, they're saying, you're not going to believe what God has done. Let me tell you, we have been going places where there are Gentiles, and the power of God is being poured out on Gentiles. And this is when the church should be going, praise God, thank you, Lord, what a reason to rejoice. But they have human nature. And they're not doing that. They're not rejoicing. I know that shocks you. I know that we would never be this way. But what happens is some in the church, I don't think all, some, well, we know not all, but watch what happens with some, and it only takes a few. Watch verse 5. So they're telling this great report of what God has done. He's poured out his spirit, filled people with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Gentiles, this has happened. But there rose up. This is in the church. There rose up a certain of the sect of the Pharisees that believed. They were believers. And they said it was needful to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. Hold on a minute. This Gentile got filled with the Holy Ghost. This Gentile got filled. Oh, but, but hold on a minute. I'm a Jew, and circumcision was required, and therefore circumcision is, these Gentiles need to be circumcised. There's some things in the law they haven't done. How can they be saved? They need to do some of these works that we've done. I, I realize not that this was what was being argued. Circumcision in the Old Testament was a work of the Old Testament covenant. You had to be circumcised. But the testator has died. We're in a new covenant. And so... So, but the, the Pharisees are holding to this, this work. Yes? And so this is rose up. We got to guard ourselves. Okay. 
So verse 6, I'm trying to stay focused here. And the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. Like, okay, let's think about this. Verse 7. And when there had been... <laughs> I thank God it's only one verse, so this probably would have been about a 900-verse chapter. Because it says, and when there had been much disputing... That means a bunch of people got together and they argued over this whole idea of circumcision or not. That wasn't just one line, but thank God Luke said, you know what, one line is going to cover this. But they were disputing. What were they disputing about? The Pharisees, this sect over here in the church is arguing with other people in the church about, well, you know, I think they need to be circumcised. There's this work that needs to happen of their flesh for, because this was required of us under the old. What was happening, it was a spirit that was rising up that was trying to deny the new covenant. They didn't realize it, I don't believe, because the adversary is subtle. But if he could get people to go back and begin to practice the old covenant for salvation, he's nullifying the new covenant that we've entered into. And so there's this dispute. Thank God the wisdom of God prevailed. The Spirit of God and men of God prevailed. And Peter rose up. Watch. This is where I want you to start. I, I, I hope you've been paying attention all along. But this is where I really want you to start watching. Remember what Paul told the church at Ephesus? By what? By grace. Yes. Are you saved? Through what? It is the, it's the what of God? Oh, it's a gift of God. Okay, so watch. Man, the word of God is so wonderful. Watch this. So Peter rose up. Now, again, Peter's not speaking of his own accord. They've been disputing a while with apostles and the elders. They've come to some conclusion, and Peter has stood up. And he said to them, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago, I don't know how long a good while was, but it was a while. Watch what Peter does. He brings them back. A good while ago, God made choice among us. Peter was saying, hey, men didn't do this. God made a choice among us. What was God's choice? God made a choice that the Gentiles, yes, by what? Whose mouth? Peter, right? Peter's talking. Peter says, he's telling them, they've come to a conclusion, and Peter makes this statement. God made a choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear what? They should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Yes? Paul told the church at Corinth, we are saved by what? The gospel? You're saved by the gospel if. Peter is going back and he's dealing with the issue of salvation that they were arguing over because people weren't circumcised. And he's bringing them back. See, he's going from the cake back. Let's go back a little bit further. Let's talk about some ingredients here. He said, I got to remind you that are arguing about this whole issue that we've talked about it. And God took me. I, it shocked me. I don't know how much he went through. But, you know, maybe you remember I was on a rooftop arguing with God when this dream came and these unclean animals came down and somebody knocked at the door. I couldn't even finish arguing with God because God finally said, look, I'm done. Go with them. I know we make it much more King James English. But no, he was up there disputing with God, got wrestling with the Lord. And the Lord said, hey, they're at the door. Go. 
And so he went. He was wrestling. And then he gets there and he begins to share the gospel. And he gets this divine revelation, right? And it's almost humorous to me. He's like, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Well, hello. He spent some time with you on the roof trying to get you to understand that. But so, so Peter is bringing them back. And he says the, they should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Verse 8. So we've got the gospel introduced by which we're saved. Yes? Now watch verse 8. And God, which knows the hearts, bear them witness, and he gave them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Now, do you remember why they're disputing? we got to remember why they're having this conversation. Otherwise, we just grab one verse and pull something out. They're having this conversation because the sect of the Pharisees are arguing with the rest of the church about Paul and Barnabas' results that people were saved that were Gentiles. Yeah? And Paul is telling, or and Peter is now telling them, hey, I know firsthand that God saved Gentiles. Because I was there when he gave them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Peter is pointing to them receiving the Holy Ghost as evidence that God was saving them. Stay with me. Because Peter keeps talking. Notice there's a semicolon there, not a period. So he further explains. And put, who put? No difference. God Put no difference between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, purifying their hearts by what? Hold on. Hold, hold, hold. Don't miss that. What did he purify their hearts by? You are saved by grace through what? To be saved, you got to have a pure heart. But you and I can't purify our heart. It's not our work. It's his workmanship. You're saved by grace through faith. So their hearts were purified by what? Faith. So it would seem that what Peter is declaring about those Gentiles that he was with would align with what Paul was telling the church in Ephesus that they were saved by grace through faith. There's a purifying of the heart by faith. But so far, Peter hasn't said anything about grace, so I'm not so sure Paul's on it yet. Okay, verse 10. Now, therefore... He's still addressing them. Why do you tempt God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? He's talking about trying to put them to do works to be saved. Why do you put this yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able or were able to bear? Verse number 11. <laughs> but we believe. What does Peter say we believe? We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Now, why? I, again, you got to stay with me just a minute or two, maybe seven or eight longer. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we what? Shall be saved now if you stop right there it could 
I'm not saying it does, but it could change context if you stop right there. But Peter, in sharing this, he said, even as they. So he's apparently saying that they, whoever the they is that he's talking about, they were saved by grace. Yes? Well, if I stop right there, I may have the ingredients in the pan getting ready to go in the oven. See, you guys are wondering how I'm going to get back to this cake. I may have the ingredients in the pan ready to go in the oven. But I still don't understand what happened to they. Do I need to understand what happened to they that he's talking about? If he's saying they had their hearts purified by faith and they were saved by grace. Or can I discount whatever he's talking about with they? Apparently not. See, Peter was drawing on a specific example of people that were saved to show them how what Paul and Barnabas had taught and how the Gentiles were. His example of being saved by grace through faith is exactly what Peter just gave right here. Faith purified their hearts. They were saved by grace that believed. But he said he drew a clear distinction that he knew people had to understand even or just like they were. That's what that literally, how that translates. Just like they were. We believe through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved just like they were, even as they. So it begs the question to go further back and say, well, how were they saved? Is that fair? Or do we say, oh, they were saved by grace through faith. And the person who you're talking to goes, okay, what does that mean? So I think what we do is let's just go look at the people, the Gentiles, that Peter was talking about when they were arguing with Paul and Barnabas. Yeah? So where do we have to go? Acts chapter 10. Aren't you thankful for the word of the Lord? It's clear. It's sure. See, if I just take Ephesians and say I'm saved by grace through faith, I'm not saying that doesn't mean anything. Obviously, that means everything. But I have to understand what it is to be saved by grace through faith. And Peter said, here's how they, this is those, and he pointed to an example of people that had been saved by grace through faith. Yes? Okay. I'm not trying to repeat myself. I'm just trying to make sure this makes sense as we walk through the word of the Lord. So in Acts chapter 10, we better start at the first verse. Don't worry. We're not going to read all 48 verses. We're on the home stretch here, I think. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of the band called the Italian man. Okay, so he's not a Jew. we got to establish that. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. And this is the story that Peter was talking about that we just read in Acts 15. He was giving an example of people who heard by his own mouth, and they had their hearts purified by faith, and they were saved by grace. This is the example that he's giving. 
a life example that Peter, the apostle, the one that stood up on the days of Pentecost declared, he's given an example. He said, by my own mouth. Okay? So he comes to these Gentiles. These are the ones he'd rescued with on the roof about, right? And he gets there after three days walking, so he must have believed God. Verse number two. This Cornelius was a devout man. He feared God with all of his house. He gave much alms to the people, and he prayed to God always. This sounds like a believer to me, doesn't it, to you? So it's good. But let's read the next verse. And he, this devout man that prayed to God always, that gave alms, that feared God with all of his house, in a vision, apparently, about the ninth hour of the day. It's so interesting to me, just a little side note, that the ninth hour of the day also happened to be the time that people went to the temple for the hour of prayer. If you go back and look in Acts chapter number 3, you'll see that Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. I just love that stuff happens when we're praying. And so he saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him. And watch, watch, watch what the angel of God says to Cornelius, a devout man, a believer. He says to Cornelius, verse number 4, When he looked on him, Cornelius looked at the angel, and he was afraid. And he said, What is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, Your prayers and your alms are come up for a memorial before God. What a beautiful thing. Verse number 5. Now, send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Verse 6. Why are you calling for Simon? He lodges with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. Notice another colon still. This is why the angel says you need to call for Peter. He shall tell you what you ought to do. Hold on a minute. I'm a believer. I pray always. I give alms. My whole house fears God. Why do I need Peter to come tell me what I ought to do? Many translations read, he will tell you what you should do or must do. It is this piece of history from Peter's life that he is referencing in Acts chapter 15 when he said, by my mouth, he's pointing back to this example of people that were saved by grace through faith. Now, I told you we're not going to read all 48 verses, so we're not. And so fast forward all the way to verse number. Peter Obeyed, he went, or Cornelius obeyed, he sent for Peter. Peter obeyed and came down, though he didn't fully understand what was happening on the rooftop with the animals and the sheep going down in his dream. He comes, and he shows up there. He's at Cornelius' house, and Cornelius says, we're all here to hear the word. What do you got to tell us? We're here, we're listening. An angel told me, you're going to tell me what I ought to do. I'm listening. Verse 37, we'll just pick up, uh, let's... Yeah, 37. Peter's already started. He said, hey, man, I, I recognize God's not a respecter of person. He's remembering what he saw on the roof and realizing what the Lord was trying to tell him. And so he says there in verse 37, that word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So Peter is preaching Christ to Cornelius' house. Yes? Verse number 39. And we, Peter, 
Peter's saying we, but he took six men with him. That's why he's saying we. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who they slew and hanged on a tree. So he's preaching the death of Christ, yes? Peter's preaching the gospel. Paul said you're saved by the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. Peter's preaching the gospel. We're witnessing these things. They slew and hung him on a tree, verse 40. Him God raised up the third day, so death, burial, resurrection. That's what saves. Peter's, Peter is preaching what saves. So that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Isn't it beautiful that Scripture agrees? Okay. And Peter said in Acts 15 they were, that we were saved by grace even as they. This is the they he's talking about. Cornelius and his house is the they. So we're looking at how are Cornelius and his house saved. All right. Notice there's a, col- a semicolon after that. The thought continues. Verse 41. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42. So he's been preaching. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the living or the quick and the dead. Verse 43, to him, who's him? Jesus Christ, right? To him give all the prophets witness. When he says that, he knew that they understand that all the prophets is the Old Testament prophets that they had read and heard about. To him, to Jesus Christ, give all the prophets witness that through his name, what's his name? Jesus. Through his name, whoever believes in him shall receive Remission of sins. Yeah. Thank God for that. Verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words. He's preaching the death, the burial, and the resurrection. While he spake the word. They believed what they heard. While he spake the word. The Holy Ghost fell on all of them. That heard the word. How did they know the Holy Ghost fell on them? Oh, I'm so glad we can read more. Verse 45. Now watch. This is all going to come together right here. I know it's coming together for many of you already, but watch. And they of the who? Now do you remember in Acts chapter 15 what they were arguing about? They were arguing about circumcision. This is why Peter pointed back to this example. In Acts 15, they were arguing about, well, they need to be circumcised. Peter's saying, hold on a minute. By my mouth, I was in this house with some Gentiles, and there was these six guys with me that were also circumcised. Thank goodness he had the wherewithal to take witnesses. And he says, we were there. And they of the circumcision, that's Peter and the six Jews that he brought with him, they, which believed, they were astonished. They were shocked. It would seem that maybe they had a little bit of prejudice in them. Why were they astonished? They're astonished that this is happening to Gentiles. Because they know they have not been circumcised. And who knows what else they haven't done. But they're astonished. Because that on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Aren't you thankful for that? (laughs) If you're a Gentile, you ought to be. But it still begs the question. How did Peter, because you got to remember, 
right? We walk backwards from the oven, so to speak, and the cake in the pan. And now we're back here to where we're putting some stuff in. Paul said we're saved by grace through faith. Peter declared faith purified the hearts and they were saved by grace even as they. And now we're reading about the they that have been saved. Now the Holy Ghost fell on them when they heard the word. Did they do anything to make the Holy Ghost fall on them? No. Peter preached the gospel, which is what saves us. And when he preached the gospel, they believed it, the Bible says. And then, not of their own work, the Holy Ghost fell on them. You understand that the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, calls the Holy Ghost the Spirit of grace. Grace came on them. The Spirit of grace came on them. And the Jews witnessed this. And Peter's telling you, you guys have been arguing this, and this is what we decided. I saw with my own eyes the Lord used me, and those people weren't circumcised, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They were saved like we were. Now, how did they know? Verse 46. For they heard them. This is how they knew the Holy Ghost came. They were astonished. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Praise God, we'll just stop right there, huh? No? Why not? I'll tell you why not. Because the angel of the Lord came to Cornelius and said, Cornelius, you go get Peter. He's going to tell you what you must do. And this is where it becomes a disconnect when people just grab Ephesians 2 and skip out on the rest of the word. They don't walk back through the word. Their hearts were purified by faith. They received the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of grace, through nothing of their own work. It was the work of God. But Jesus said in Luke 24 that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name. Jesus said in Mark 16 that he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus said in Matthew 28, Go ye into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them. And so Peter answered after he's witnessed people receive the Holy Ghost, after he's witnessed them the evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. And Peter, who's been sent by God to tell them what they ought to do, verse number 47, said... Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And there's the same key to Peter. We're not going to keep going back, but we went from Ephesians back to Acts 15. Peter pointed them back to Acts chapter 10 from Acts 15. And now in Acts chapter 10, Peter is pointing to those six men back to Acts chapter 2. Because he's saying they received the Holy Ghost as well as we or the same way we did on the day of Pentecost. See, you can't just take the oven and say it makes a great cake. I don't know why that analogy is what's in my head. Maybe because my wife made a really good cake last night. But I, you knew it, didn't you? But that's what happens. And we got to go back to the ingredients. 
And this is what has happened in the Word of God. And we have to be careful else the gospel gets twisted and corrupted. And people make this statement, not seeing the fullness of the Word of God. It says, only believe and. No, no, no. Only believing leads to something. Not a work that I do. They believed and without any work, the Holy Ghost fell on them. They heard the gospel. They believed the gospel. They received the gospel. And when they believed it, the Holy Ghost fell on them. As at them in the beginning. And that's what Peter's talking about. But, but he's talking about water. Can any man forbid water? See, sounds sort of like making a cake. Mix some stuff in. Verse 48. And he suggested to them. Oh, sorry. I was reading some. I was reading the 2023 Water It Down version. No. Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Matter of fact, you read that in almost every other translation beside the King James. There's a reason I believe the translators of the King James took it out because it sort of violated some of what they were already starting to follow of man's tradition. Most translations read, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, and then they ask him to stay certain days. I have a question for you. And we're finishing. Why don't you stand with me? I'll give you hope. So I have a question. Was Cornelius and his house saved? It's not a loaded question. Don't over. Yes? Okay. Were they saved before Peter arrived? There's a reason. Why? Because there was a new covenant. And they had to participate in the new covenant. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. The death, they had to die to themselves. They had to repent. They had to be buried. Romans and Colossians both tells us we are buried with Christ through baptism. Why? That we also should walk in newness. That's resurrection of life. What is this newness of life? It is the infilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's what we read in Ephesians 2. You hath he quickened, made alive. How did he quicken you and make you alive? He filled you with his spirit. And if that spirit that dwelleth in Christ dwelleth in you, it shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Is that what the word says? And so the quickening spirit. And so what happened to Cornelius in his house? Very simple. Cornelius and his house were filled with the Holy Ghost. It was a work of grace. They were saved by grace. But saving grace isn't just some 
thought process. Saving grace means God does something. The grace of God moves upon the hearts of men. And the grace of God came upon Cornelius and his house. And when the, grace, when the spirit of grace came, it filled their life. It made them alive. They began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave the other. They didn't learn to do that. The spirit of grace came upon them. And it filled them. And they began to speak just like the day of Pentecost. I'll never forget. I will never forget when Brother Lewis invited me to a Bible study one Tuesday night. Remember that? He's like, I don't know. I've invited you to a lot of Bible studies. I remember. It was a Tuesday night probably about 15 years ago. My time might be off by a month or two or a year or two. But I remember I got invited to a Bible study because I had met this couple, this couple at this, uh, it was a birthday party. It was Ronnie, Veronica, their daughter's birthday party, 13 or 14 or 15 or something. Anyway, we... And this couple came in, and we prayed for Lewis and Julie when I was trying to leave because they weren't feeling well. And, his, and then that couple said, hey, who was that? Because we'd never met before. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's our pastor. And so, How come he's never come when you've come and done a Bible study? And Lewis is telling me this later. I'm like, man, I don't know. You never asked me. <laughs> okay, I'll go. So we went on a Tuesday night, and we show up at these people's house. There's about eight of us there, I think, maybe seven or eight of us. And we sit down, and uh, I know you'll find this hard to believe, but Brother Lewis talked for about ten minutes. And I'm sorry, I don't remember what he talked about. No, that's not what's hard to believe. The next part is what's hard to believe. And, and then I followed him and talked for about 10 to 15 minutes at the most. That's why I said it's hard to believe. And I, I'm sorry, I don't remember what Brother Lewis talked about. But I, I remember, it, it, it's just because it's so etched in my memory. I just talked about Elijah on Mount Carmel and the fire falling on the altar when they put all the animals there and sacrifice and put water around the altar, right? And fire came and consumed the sacrifice. And that was it. And so we stood up, the six or seven or eight of us in that room in a little circle. And I said, let's pray. Remember that, Brother Lewis? And so we bowed our heads and began to pray. And about 10 seconds in, I'm like, the only people praying are me and Brother Lewis. It was like eerily quiet. You ever been in one of those prayer meetings? I'm old school, man. When you pray, everybody prays. I, I, I'm not against quiet prayer meetings. But sometimes you, and so... I gave a Bible study that I've given thousands of times, and many of you have heard it many, many times. Maybe you usually show. Prayer is when you open your mouth and words come out. I believe in meditation too, but I also believe in prayer, which is an opening of the mouth and let something come out. And so I taught this simple Bible study. And so what I want you to do, we're going to pray again, and it doesn't have to be loud, but I'm going to ask you to open your mouth and let words come out to God. And so the seven or eight of us stood right there, and we started praying again. I don't think it was 30 seconds. And all of a sudden, that young lady across the way, she just started speaking in tongues. The Holy Ghost came in that house. The fire of God came down in that little living room. And she began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave her the utterance. And that made all the other people stop praying. They're like, what in the world is happening? They didn't know what was going on. And so we paused again. I said, hey, this isn't some strange thing. Don't worry. The Bible talks about people receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. So let's pray again. And now they knew I'd already taught the Bible study on prayer, so we started praying again. And before long, her man standing over there beside her, he started speaking in tongues. The Holy Ghost fell on him. And remember that? I'm sure you do. We left that Bible study. Brother Lewis called me and said, Man, oh, that was powerful. I said, Man, it was. I said, That was something. I said, You ever experienced that before? He said, No. I said, That was a first there for me, too. I said, thank you, Brother Lewis, for teaching them about the Holy Ghost so they could be ready to receive it. 
Here's what he said to me. I'll never forget it. He said, Pastor, I hadn't got that far yet. <laughs> Why am I telling you that? Because it's not about having all this long understanding. It's about a heart that believes and is ready to receive. And the Spirit, by grace are you saved. And so the Spirit of grace came into that home and baptized him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overcomplicate it. I feel the need to share. I was, I was in Arkansas one time, sitting at a Starbucks, getting ready to go preach my grandmother's funeral. I was in a black suit, as you might expect. I was just trying to get along, away from all the noise around the house that was there where I was visiting, where my grandmother had lived. And I was sitting there, had my Bible, trying to get ready for the service. And the only reason I was doing this is because my grandmother had told me all my life that I remember, you're going to preach my funeral. I want you to preach my funeral. So I'm sitting there at the Starbucks outside, minding my own business, trying to just... And there's a door in between us that goes in and another table on the other side. And there's these two guys sitting over there enjoying their Saturday morning. They got on their little cargo shorts and their T-shirts. And it was a sunny day. It was beautiful. They're enjoying it. And I'm there in my own world. And one of them comes over and has the audacity to interrupt me. Should have been able to tell I was focused, didn't want to be talked to. Because God should be concerned with my convenience rather than a soul, right? <laughs> and this man comes over to me and says, hey, I, I, I noticed you were reading your Bible there. And he said something. I said, well, I'm, are you from here? I said, well, no, actually, I'm from Washington. I'm in town to do my grandmother's funeral. I'm, he said, well, we were just finishing up. And uh, if you don't mind, and I, God is my witness, in my mind, I'm thinking I do mind. But he said, if you don't mind, maybe you'd come over and join us as we pray before we, we were going to pray. And we thought maybe you'd come join us before we leave. I wanted, I did not want to. But I knew I had to. And so I went over and sat with him. And uh, he told him about my grandmother, told the other guy. That was in there. Anyway, so we sit down and we pray. The first guy, I'm not a round robin prayer. I'm, I'm not making fun of that. That's just not how, usually, like I said, when we pray, we all pray. And so... They said, well, let's pray. And so we started, and I realized, okay, I'm not supposed to be praying out loud right now because I'm messing up there. I, I, again, I'm not being unkind. You understand? Just a different way of thinking. And so, so I'm like, okay, so I better tone it. So I'm, and let the one guy pray and wait. And so he, he so kind, so gracious. He prayed for me that God would give me strength, that God would give me words, prayed for my loss. I'd never met these men in my life, and I, I'm just there being so kind and and so he finishes, and I'm like, okay. I, and the next guy starts praying. And so I'm like, okay, this is how this works. And so he's praying, and, and he's the same thing, he, different words, but he's praying kindness for me, blessing on my life, God helping me, comfort, all that. And it was, it was, I, I was so humbled. I'd never met these men before, and I just was, well, and they finished, and I'm, I'm starting to feel the presence of God. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what are you doing? I'm thinking this, and I'm. I'm like, okay, I'm a little slow. Maybe that's how Peter was on the mountain, on the rooftop. He's like, you know, arguing with God because of his stuff. I don't know. I'm starting to feel the presence of God. And I'm like, okay, I'm listening, Lord. So the guy finishes, and I'm like, it's my turn. And I'm nobody. I'm just a vessel like you are. And so I start praying. And I've got a flow to pray. 
And I begin praying about the presence of God ministering to these men who have so graciously given of themselves to pray for me and minister to me. I don't remember everything I said. I just knew it wasn't some premeditated prayer. There was a flow, and I'm praying. And I, I've been praying maybe, maybe, Brother Manuel, maybe 40 seconds. Outside at Starbucks, real spiritual place. Well, it is, but different reasons. Outside at Starbucks, <laughs> along a highway in Arkansas, sunny day. We're sitting outside, the three of us, two men I've never met. And I'm about 40 seconds in, and you're not going to believe this. Well, you will. One of those men who I was kind and respectful and didn't like blurt out and pray out loud while they were praying, one of them had the audacity <laughs> to not let me finish my prayer. God is my witness. The guy sitting off to my right, it's like he couldn't contain it anymore. He opened his mouth and he began speaking in other tongues as God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We kept praying there and we finished. We stopped. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. We're right there praying. We finish. And that man at that table in Starbucks, when we finished praying, he looks at me and he's, his face is about like this. He's like, I am so sorry. He said, I've never done that in my life. He said, but when you started praying, something came on me. And I, I, I couldn't help myself. I was trying to be quiet, but I had to open my mouth. He was saved by grace. I said, oh, that's the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's, that's the saving grace of God that just came into your life. He said, I've heard about it, but I've never experienced it. And God chose a table at Starbucks on a Saturday morning because he was saved by grace through faith, not of works. It was the gift of God. I'm telling you, that God of grace is here this morning. If you would just reach to him right now, let your heart cry out to him. The saving grace of God fills the room. Lord, I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried for me. I believe you rose again on the third day and you live forevermore. And you desire to live within me. I submit my spirit to you. I submit my heart to you. Come on, talk to him right now. Not worrying about anybody else but you and the Lord.